Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Sofa Football Podcast. Today we welcome world football expert Gabriel Marcotti. We look at who he tips for the Champions League, Ronaldo's New Deal, Kaka, the FA and much more. From our sofa to your sofa. Let's get straight into it then. We started by talking about Ronaldo's new deal and whether Real Madrid can afford it. Do you think there's anything significant in the timing of it? And what, what about the breakdown of what he's on? Because in line with his Real Madrid's wage structure, it isn't actually that big a fee. Well, um, well the timing of obviously people are going to say, oh look, he's doing it to overshadow Gareth Bale. Obviously a contract like this is a long time coming. It was reported, I think, back in mid-August that they had reached an agreement. And, and obviously they might have reached an agreement in principle, but in the details. You're right about the fee. I think Nick, Nick Harris, um, Sporting Intelligence, came out and tweeted it very, very clearly. He said, you know, it may seem like a lot of money, but you have to look at it within the context of Real Madrid. And, you know, if you... He, his contract works out to something, I mean, depending on what figure you believe, but it should be something like 36 million euros gross. Um, Real Madrid have a an annual turnover last year, 520 million euros. Uh, UEFA guidelines say that you really shouldn't have more than 70% wages to turnover ratio, and that 50% is ideal. Very few teams, I think, are at less than 50%. I believe United are at 46%. So if you look at it that way, 36 million euros is, what, about 13% of 520 million? 13% for your star player. You know, leaving you 230 million euros, which is around about 200 million pounds for the rest of your squad. That's that's not a bad deal, or at least you know it's something very very reasonable. Or put another way, I think um, these figures might have changed, but I think you could have Ronaldo, and then you could have the wage bill. You'd have the highest wage bill in the Premier League, and you'd still be right around 50 percent of the turnover. This like this puts Real Madrid in a much stronger position. Were they ever to sell Ronaldo? Do you think they would ever sell Ronaldo? It's an absolutely um, critical point, and it was so important that they signed him because June 2015 he would have gone out of contract. And as with any footballer, there's a there's a balance of power and a tipping point as you near the final 18 months. Um, and obviously, the, the player's transfer value goes way down. Um, Matter of public record that Paris Saint Germain um, are close to him, and certainly Monaco as well, where the owner there, Rico Lovelace, there's like half a dozen Mendes players in the squad, George Mendes being Ronaldo's agent. I'm sure those guys would have been very eager to put, you know, uh, a very attractive offer on the table. They may yet do so, but now it has to be Cristiano saying, I want to leave, and Real Madrid can ensure that they get, you know, top dollar for him. So it's very important. What do you think about Real Madrid spending in accordance with the uh, Spanish economy and how that goes hand in hand with them spending so much and the, the country being in quite a dire state and where they get their funding from? I mean, I think Real Madrid are a not-for-profit company and a lot's been said about their debt and, and whatnot, but if you look at their accounts, you know, it's not a mystery. They have an enormous TV deal, which they sound seven years ago now with uh you know with, with a company which you know hasn't gone bust yet you know they're there they, they chose this commitment right 
and that's where a big chunk of it comes from. A big chunk of the their um, revenue is from match day tickets, and you know they have a ninety thousand seat stadium, and they come close to filling it most weeks. Um, so that's a lot of profit there, and um, they have a lot of sponsors, um, and a lot of the sponsorship is global sponsorships, and nothing to do with Spain. And another big chunk of their revenue is Champions League prize money, and again. That's global. It's got nothing to do with, with Spain, really. So I don't see where this comes from. People cite the debt, and I invite anybody who's very preoccupied about the size of Real Madrid's debt to go and look up um, Swiss Ramble. You probably know the, the blogger. Just put Swiss Ramble debt and Real Madrid in. And he'll explain that, in reality, the nature of their debt is, you know, without getting to too many complicated uh, accounting points. In reality, their their sort of quote, bad debt, so to speak, is much smaller. It's less than hundred million, and um, you know, and with a turnover of five hundred twenty million euros, that's not a bad relationship um, to have. Now, the nature of their funding. Well, there's two things here. One is state aid is illegal within the European Union, so there is no state aid, direct state aid to Real Madrid. Um, the one instance where they're being investigated is a sale of the training ground with Ciudad Deportiva, which, first of all, was, what, like 12 years ago, um, where it was alleged that, you know, they owned this land where the training ground was, and they sold it to the city of Madrid, and the allegation was the city of Madrid paid an inflated price for that land, and that Real Madrid somehow benefited. First and foremost, this happened a long time ago. Um, second, I think it's something that's possible but hard to prove. Thirdly, I think whenever you have transactions between a club and a local government, you know, there's always issues, right? Are we going to go and if West Ham get the Olympic Stadium, you know, how do we then go and decide how much they really should be paying and what's their market value? Or indeed Manchester City and the city of Manchester Stadium. Now, these are all things that are open to scrutiny and interpretation. But if they did something wrong, A, it happened back then, and B, it's not something that... Um, yeah, so I'm telling you that in terms of an actual number in, in, in euros, it's not going to be such a huge impact on on their turnover today. It is true that Real Madrid, like Barcelona, um, and Athletic Bilbao, you know, they're not privately held clubs. They're basically social trusts. And so when it comes to lying their credits and their relationship with banks, you know, they get a slightly different treatment, perhaps. Um, but again, there are cold, hard numbers about how much money they owe and how much money they borrowed. And according to people like Swiss Ramble, who I trust implicitly because it does this for a living, they're not, it's not anything to get worked out about. Looking at Real Madrid going into the Champions League, who are you most excited about seeing in the Champions League? And do you expect any surprise package? I don't have to think about it. Um, I mean, to me, what's most fascinating about the Champions League is. Of the top 10 teams, top 10 favorites, according to the bookies, the top six have new managers. Mm, yeah. um, only three of the top 10 don't. Borussia Dortmund, Arsenal, and Juventus. So it's number seven, number nine, and number 10. I find that to be quite remarkable. Like we really are sort of in slightly uncharted waters here in terms of what, in terms of what might happen. I find it difficult to call. I think we're going to get a better sense, obviously, halfway through the group stage. Mm. But... I think what we've learned in recent years is that, you know, once you reach the round of 16, it's about, you know, it becomes a different animal, approaching a two-legged 
clash is a different skill set uh, than even a group stage. And I think that's when we'll be able to kind of better assess who might be able to do so. Mm-hmm. I mean, Juventus last year, I think Conte will concede that he got it wrong against Bayern Munich, although Bayern Munich were pretty formidable force last yeah. year. Do you think he's really set on winning the Champions League this year? Because obviously they can win the third Skirto in a row, which hasn't happened since the 50s, is it? Well, for Juventus, it's happened since the 30s. Since the 30s. Um, so do you think he's got an eye on the Scudetto, or do you think... No, I think really the Champions League is a priority. Everyone no. likes to win the Scudetto as well. Um, three other teams since Juventus did in the 30s have also won the Scudetto three times in a row. One of those teams was Inter Milan, and obviously it was in certain circumstances following Calciopoli mm-hmm. and whatever else would weakened opposition. The other two teams that have done it, AC Milan, um, Fabio Capello's AC Milan, and the great Torino side that perished at Zuccarello in 1949 were two of the greatest teams in the world at the time. Juventus isn't quite there yet, so um, I think it's a big ask. Um, I think my uncertainty with Juventus in the Champions League is really centers around three things. One is, I think the way a lot of teams play against them, Leo Bonucci at the heart of the defense is critical because he is he's one of those ball-playing center defenders. Um, and he can hit the ball long, he's got great range of passing. Yeah, he certainly did. And should something, there is no natural replacement for him. I don't know what you do, maybe you consider, I don't know, he's never done this, but you consider playing Pogba as a center defender. I, I don't just to have that passer back there. But that's absolutely critical. Um, another point is they simply play with an intensity that I think, you know, it's hard for them to maintain that all season long. So you're going to have to rotate whenever you rotate and you're not so used to it. It's always difficult to maintain the balance. Finally, the other thing is Tevez is a great player. He's better than anybody they had last year. Um, maybe you ain't this too, but you're talking about two new strikers in a system that was very, very precise. Mm. So, you know, do they have the movement? Do they, can you make the adjustments in time to get the best out of Tevez and, and Llorente or Vucic or whoever plays up there? I'm not sure. I think that's a big question mark. Um, do you think there's a pressure on the Italian teams, particularly with the um, with the UEFA coefficients for this year and with them maybe dropping below Portugal, allowing the teams to have, and if they weren't to do as well this year, then they might um, struggle to get more teams allowed into the Champions League. They're fourth now, right? yeah. so they could they could drop to fifth, but they're not going to drop to seventh. Yeah, because I mean, of their performances in the last couple of years. Yeah, but I mean, I don't think teams go into it thinking that. I mean, the reason they drop is because of the Europa League performance. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's been a big fact. Um, AC Milan and Gagliari and others have got a long push to have separate coefficients. So what happened? Um, maybe it should, you know, ultimately. You know, I don't think a team thinks of a team only thinks of doing the best they can, they don't say, oh, shoot, we really better. Well, they place more of a importance on the Europa League this year. We we uh, saw you tip Fiorentinas to do well this year. Yeah, that was before they sold out of knowledge, but, um, <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, you know, obviously, they lost to Dinesa already, so you're already down to two teams. Um, Lazio have generally really put in an effort in the, in the in the Europa League in years past, and I imagine Fiorentina will as well. I think where you run into the issue is if, you know, spring comes and you're fighting for 
a spot in the top three, which was a situation Fiorentina found themselves in last year. I think that's when managers, pretty Italian managers, make a make a decision, um, and the Europa League suffers. I mean, you know, saw the same thing with Napoli last year, um, and that's why the Italian clubs. Europa League performances all stink, you know. Um, so hopefully Lazio will be so far behind, maybe Fiorentina too, that they'll actually try to win the Europa League. With Milan, really interested to know what was behind Ken Prince Boating's decision to leave the Schalke, because we obviously know the past incidents. Of well, he says that it has absolutely nothing to do with it. And do you believe that? Way to deny the report, yeah, I believe that. I, know. I mean, look, Obviously, I'm not black, but I've spoken to black players. I think quite from what many have told me, and there certainly is a one viewpoint on this, but um, what's galling is a sense of impunity when this happens. In Kevin Prince Boateng's case, you know, seven people, not only were they caught and did they receive um, stadium bans, maximum bans you can get, they also received prison sentences of two months. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that sends... You know, when you go to prison for racial abusing somebody, you know, so when Rio Ferdinand was racially abused last year in the Manchester Guardian, um, I don't even know if they caught the guy who did it, but even if they did, he's not going to prison. You know, I think, um, so yeah, so I would definitely tend to believe Boateng um, on that front. There's no reason to have to it. I think he was sold primarily because he's a guy who gets injured a lot. And he's a guy who's difficult to build a squad around in the sense that he's got a certain skill set which is rather unusual and so you get into a into a situation where to accommodate him maybe you unbalance other parts of the pitch yeah. um, you know Minan felt that they weren't going to do that for um, you know, for a guy who gets hurt a lot basically on top of that I think they already knew that they had a chance to get picked up and you know selling Boateng was a way to help bankroll the move yeah about that move is that purely nostalgic. Not that I believe that Milan would, would do something like that, but obviously at the weekend he, sh- he struggled quite a yeah. lot against Torino, as, as the whole Milan team did. But what, what do you make of that move? Do, do you think it I can mean, be a success I, again? I wouldn't have done it. There's a dynamic there. You know, I think it's cynical about players, but he kind of wanted to, mm-hmm. and he wanted to feel important. And he wanted to go where he was loved, La Marina. And, uh, you know, he took a huge pay cut to go there. Normally, left like 20 million pounds on the table over two years. And I think when you as me, then you see that, you figure out this guy is not going to be lacking for motivation. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at the lift it gave a lot of the fan base, not the media perhaps so much, but the fan base were excited to have him back. You know, it was a free transfer and they decided to go for it. I, I think it was the wrong decision. I think it causes a horrible knock on effect for the team. I think it affects some of the young players that they were building with. They always hate it when. You know, teams change their blueprint or their plan every mm. six months, especially when it's working. And in Milan's case, it was working. Yeah. Um, time time. Obviously, they've got a fair amount of injuries with Montalivo, Poli. The supply, anyway, from midfield is looking pretty thin. Do you think Milan are there, they're vulnerable for tomorrow against Celtic? I mean, I mean and how Celtic can close up Barcelona, right? So, yeah, yeah. You know, I think everybody's vulnerable. Um, no, but I mean, the they're still favourites because the guys who come in are you still have Matri, you still have Balotelli. Um, Who's going to be that link to matching? Somebody like Montari, you know, in terms of being the more link attacking of the three. 
But I think what's going to be more important to them is that they get their fullbacks back. Mm. How about this year? Benalla. Is he is he still with Sartuano? I think so. So that's bad news. Because Celtic's game obviously revolves around pace, speed. Yeah, so that's not great news. And I mean, the Milan didn't address central defense in the summer, which I think was a mistake because Mexes and Zapata are backed up by, you know, like, Fashido's great, but he's going to be playing fullback. They're backed up by Matias Silvestri, who could hardly get on the pitch last year at Inter. Cornea, mm-hmm. um, who's 100 years old, always injured and not very good. I'm sure, I'm, sure, I'm sure Celtic could take Cornea in their, in their squad. When fit, maybe, yeah. But, you know, how often is it fit? Why to ask you about... Qatar and just I would I would ask a question but I just can't think there's so many questions to ask about Qatar um so I would just say do you think it'd work in winter if it if it went to winter well first of all that everybody's really fussed about this except for the Premier I don't see what kind of fight they can put unless they want to break away from UEFA and by extension for trying the other parties of all the power um and look I mean you're talking about a two-month hold in the middle of the season, right? There's a lot of things that you can do with the scheduling to address that. Why do you think the Premier League is so against it then? Premier League generally, because it plays very well with the English press, particularly the Daily Mail. Um, and it fits into the narrative, you know, black, bad Platini, he voted for Cutter, blah, 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 madness, yada, yada. You know, they know this, so they're, they're, they're complaining, and you know, they have the support of other leagues. By the same token, I think they're all just going through the motions because I don't see how it can happen. And for me personally, I think this is a golden opportunity. To, I, I'm against 20 team top flights. I'd love to see 16 or 18 teams in the top flight. Great opportunity to cut some of that. But, you know, it's not going to kill you. You start the season a week earlier in August, carry on in the end until the middle of June. And, you know, you get a little bit more reasonable with the League Cup and you know there, there's ways of doing this mm. Do ultimately the reason clubs perhaps don't want it is they have to pay the TV contracts yeah that's all it is yeah do you agree with Greg Dyke vision no <laughs> <laughs> you don't agree with Greg Dyke on anything no I do I, I, I think Greg Dyke's I, I didn't I don't like David Bernstein at all oh why I mean horrible um, many 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 reasons um, is that on on what he did when he was chairman? Yeah. Oh, right. oh yeah, no, no. I mean, people at City say he's fantastic and wonderful. Yeah. English media, I love him. I have a lot of problems with with the way Dyke ran things. Uh, sorry, Dyke. Sorry, um, um, when there was a World Cup bid, there were other FAs who were willing to talk about doing something. When push came to shove, he was content to go and give his speech. Right. But not really take any take, take anything on. Take on any other proposals that might have done something about it to uh, to increase their chance of getting. He played the to his domestic audience. That's the only. That, that's what he did. He played to the Daily Mail, which is what he has done regularly. When you have the John Terry case, mm. um, and this is all in the report, I was absolutely shocked to see this. Yeah. Whatever you think of Ashley Cole, and it's certainly not top of my Christmas list. The FA send two people around to conduct all the interviews. They tape record the interviews. Ashley Cole, without no tape recording, it's a man and a woman with a notepad. Okay? And as often happens, I don't know if we're getting statements of the police or whatever, 
you talk, they write things down, and then they ask, like, is this your statement? You go through it. If you agree with what you've written, you, um, you know, you have to agree or disagree. That's what Oxford Cole probably do. We spoke to this woman, this woman in this band, they both took notes, they wrote up the statement, and then afterwards, um, Ashley Cole said, no, actually, I didn't say this, or I want to say this, which is completely his right. Yeah. And then it, the FA leak it, oh, no, but Ashley Cole's changing the story to help John Terry. Right, know? yeah. Bad Ashley Cole, scumbag Ashley Cole. It's easy to pick an Ashley Cole because, let's face it, nobody likes it. Um, I thought that was horrible. The other yeah. thing is, again, do you read the report? Those notes that they supposedly took from the Ashley Cole interview went missing for 11 months. The FA lost those notes. It's in the freaking report that they themselves put out. They couldn't find them. And then they found them again. And I think when this happens, you as a leader of organization have accountability and say, look, we've sat so-and-so for losing these notes in, in, you know, over a huge issue. And then, I mean, there's other stuff. I think the whole Capello thing, you know, you're sacking him over a mistranslated tweet. You're sacking him because you made that baby by name misrepresented what Capello said because he's not a native English speaker. Mm. And you had every opportunity to find out what he did. The, the, the freaking video was on the internet minutes later. Mm-hmm. Didn't take time to do that. You were happy to do that. And then you wait three months before appointing Roy Hodgson. I don't know whether Hodgson was the right appointment or yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. But you wait three months, leaving him no time whatsoever to prepare when he comes in. And then you plays horrid defensive football at the Euros, and then you present all but you know. You put him in no condition to succeed. And then after railing against FIFA, and specifically against the FIFA Goal Project, for those who don't know, the Goal Project is a project that FIFA has, just slightly controversial, where FIFA have a big pot of money, and individual FAs can apply for that pot of money. I think it's something like a million dollars in the award, or up to a million dollars. And, and FIFA then awards it. And it's been, a lot of people have alleged that in the past, certain FAs, you know, apply for it, it's basically the way Blatcher keeps power, right? Because as well, vote for me and I'll keep the Gold Project money coming. Yeah. After you've railed against FIFA, the way they do business, the Gold Project, right? You take FIFA Gold Project money for St. George's. That that 100 million pound thing or however much St. George's cost, you know, a portion of that is FIFA Gold Project money. Which gave Blatter his photo op, smiling there with like the little, you know, next to the FIFA Gold Project plaque at St. George's. What freaking hypocrisy is this? Um, I, I thought, my name is you know, an FA chairman who let the Premier League walk all over him again, did nothing about Dave Richards hanging around. Um, I don't know. I mean, Dyke seems to be more confrontational, seems to be more in the Treesman mold. Obviously, things didn't work out for Treesman either. I don't know. I, let's let's give Dyke time. I I wasn't thoroughly impressed with the initial speech because he seemed like one of those sort of very big picture guys. Yeah. Patin's the same way. Yeah. He's like, ah, we're gonna fix youth football. Okay, you three guys, you guys go figure out how we're gonna do this. Yeah. You know? We're gonna reform the calendar. You know, you need people who are detail oriented to lead an organization like that. Mm-hmm. I, I think. Definitely. Whether, whether we, whether we can actually win the World Cup in 2022. It's not a clever thing to say either because, look, I know what he means, but all he means is it's the kind of thing the media can latch onto and make him look stupid. Yeah. That was the headline. We gave him the headline. Dyke says, win World Cup in 2022. Yeah, the players who might deliver the 22 World Cup, some of those guys are like 13 years old. You know, or you know what's going to happen. Exactly. It's just one of those, those, those stupid things. Of, you know, nothing good coming. It's incredible, I think. 
Thank you very much. Yeah. No, no worries. Chatting on the sofa. Yeah. There you go. I thought that would be appropriate. (laughs) Well, that's it for another Sofa Football podcast. We'd like to thank Gabriel Marcotti for joining us and you for listening. Remember, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Sofa Football and on our website, sofafootball.com. We'd also appreciate your vote in the Football Blogging Awards. We are hoping to be nominated as Best New Blog, and you can find all the details on our website. Cheers. Have a great week.